0: Hey, everyone. Just a quick little disclaimer before we get this episode underway. Kyle's mic is, uh, I think, literally lodged in his throat for the majority of this episode. So uh, we cannot fix the audio on it. There's a lot of good content, and so I'm loath to delete it or to re-record it uh, because it's never the same the second time. So we're going to let it ride. T- Terry and James are fine, but you might want to turn down your speakers just a little bit. Uh, because Kyle may fucking blow them out. So there's your warning. Good luck. I hope it's all copacetic for everyone. But uh, I we acknowledge that this one's going to be a little bit rough to listen to. So get to your speakers in five, four, three, two, one. Uh, would a dragon god have a horde, and
1: if so, what would be in it? Oh, right. Okay. Would a dragon god have a horde?
2: I think definitely did have hordes. Um, and I think they're going to have all kinds of stuff because the dragon god is going to expect gifts from everyone from everywhere, not just a particular region. So you're going to get gold and jewels and, and fine art pieces, well, all kinds of art pieces from all kinds of regions and maybe even uh, statues. Uh, as well as those other types of treasures like um like trophies of like vanquished you know foes and so yeah, I think they would definitely have a horde, and I think it would be uh, have much more variety to it than a regular dragon
1: okay. oh, I like that. So like uh every time someone gifts something, right it like disappears and then it just gets added to the hoard. yeah, I would say so. James Okay.
3: For me, I think a dragon god technically would have a horde, but it wouldn't be collected by them. It would be every time a dragon of their particular genre was given a tribute, given a tithe, a percent of it goes to the dragon god. Oh, right. Like a like a cut, like a, a kickback. Yeah, kickback <laughs> to your god. You know, the church takes 10% of your earnings for doing nothing. The dragon god takes 10% of your earnings for doing nothing. Kickback okay. to
2: your God sounds an amazing like an amazing band name. I've got to I got to use that somewhere. Kickback to your god is I don't know maybe there's like a 2000s feel to that.
1: Yeah, like an emo band kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah it's something like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Okay, I'm cool. pretty sure that's a My Chemical Romance album.
4: Welcome to the It's a Mimic Podcast, where you never know what you're going to get.
2: Okay, welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic Podcast, where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I am Terry, and with me today are James and Kyle, and this episode is called Dragon Gods Epic
1: Tales of Sibwing Rivalries. Nice. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of dungeon masters is going to don our holy vestments and pray to the big 3 dragon gods in the Forgotten Realms and a couple more.
3: But before we get started, let's be honest. If adult dragons suddenly appeared in our world, the way they are presented in D&D, they'd be worshipped as gods. At what point do you personally join the dragon gods as a minion? At ancient, adult or young?
2: Yeah, I there's good. There's so many dragons, right? And then only so many of them get to, I would say, advance to that older age because they're always trying to take each other out and they're always competing. So I think I would probably wait for adults unless there was like an imminent threat. Like a young dragon is still going to fuck you up no matter what. So if a young dragon is like, hey, I'm your boss now. You're gonna go along with it, right? But you're gonna be putting your 30 days notice in to move, and you're gonna be trying to find somewhere else. Um, but uh, so I would probably start adult if I could, or young if there's a threat.
1: Okay, so desperation choices. It's desperation choices for me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going straight ancient. I want that power. That's when yeah, you're with Kyle.
3: I'm selling my soul I'm going ancient but also humans are very too much warmongering and the weapons we have <laughs> we could take out a young dragon and a good chance with heavy casualty and area loss an ancient adult dragon so like ancient seems to be the only true concern for us uh you know that's a good point uh James took it a little bit further there we're thinking like a,
2: on a strategic scale but I think you're correct uh, we probably could take out an adult dragon I don't want to be part of that battle. You know, I always said, I said to Adam a no. couple times, I'm the guy that I want to be on the fifth row of the Battle of Hogwarts. You know, like I'm like middle management. That's where I want to be. You're <laughs> uh, the
3: cheerleader. On the sub that shoots the nuke at the dragon. I don't, That's where I, I want to be.
2: I don't want a job of any significance, but I don't want to be a grunt. I don't want to be the first two rows that go charging in first because those are the guys that never get out the other side of it. Hopefully, by the time he gets to like the, the fifth row, I'll be there, but I don't want to be important enough that I'm expected to make significant decisions. I just want to blur in
1: okay, okay, before I think we... it's funny, go on Kyle. I think it's funny that you're the only one that's actually served in the military too. That's yeah, this comes from experience absolutely. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know
3: okay, I,
2: I think it was a, it was at, uh, it was one of the leaders in World War II. I think it might have been Churchill I might have been wrong. It might be been one of the Americans uh, that said, you know don't don't be the person that dies for their country. make the other guy die for his. I'm absolutely all about that. Yeah, yeah. War, by the way, is not a bunch of, uh, War, by the way, is just a bunch of 21 year olds trying not to die. That's all it is, that's all it is. Okay, uh, before we get any deeper into this, let's go to an ad break.
4: We have previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dragons in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below.
0: Before we go any further, thanks to Logan for becoming our most recent Patreon subscriber. We look forward to shooting the shit with you on the Discord. It's a busy week at It's a Mimic. We've got a little bit of something for everybody this week. Uh, not only did we do the mailbag questions yesterday, uh, where Terry, Kyle, and I sat down and answered a handful of surprisingly PG questions from you guys. Like, there was not a whole lot of rated R stuff. So, I mean, dear listeners, ya slippin'. But then, of course, there's also today's episode on Dragon Gods, which is really just part one of the conversation. We'll be doing Dragon Followers uh, next week. But also, we've got a little bit of something for everyone on the Patreon as well. So Copper Tier and above are going to have access to the next Campaign Builder episode where we sit down and talk about strategy sessions with the players and why they're important and fun even though combat doesn't break out. But before that, on Wednesday, I'm going to sit down and drop another Legend Lore Online episode because there's been a lot of releases recently and they're not all great, so let's start off with probably the most popular one that's come out in the last few months, and then the end of the week is going to wrap up with, well, silver tier patrons are going to have the opportunity to listen to me sit down and wax poetic about nothing in general for a very long time. We happened to catch a conversation on mic uh, instead of recording an episode, and there was enough insight and good shit in and amongst the crap that we're going to release it, so little bit of everything for everyone. Uh, it's a full week, and we hope that everybody's having a great middle of November. Uh, don't let the seasonal depression get you down. Don't forget to save up for Christmas, and uh, and don't forget to go easy on the last remnants of the Halloween candy, assuming there's any left. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is one other thing that I got to go over right now with everybody, and that is the fact that. Um, as I'm editing this and moving forward, I've discovered that, uh, James was mispronouncing Sardior. uh, I guess that, uh, he got a wrong pronunciation guide somewhere online. So Terry actually corrected him, but then James ignored him because the zoom call, uh, glitched and James didn't hear it. So I didn't know what to do. I was going to try to edit James. If I tried to find if he ever said it properly or edit the word he or anything in it. What I ended up doing instead, which I think is really freaking hilarious, is, uh, I just edited Terry exclaiming Sardior at the top of his lungs and, and uh, and just edited it into James's freaking breakdown. So, um, this is now a drinking game I've made. And every time that Terry says Sardior, uh, you got to do a shot. So there we go. Uh, don't play this while driving, but otherwise, uh, reach for that bottle because this is pretty funny. And it makes me laugh. It catches me <laughs> off guard every time. So, uh, enjoy.
2: <laughs> All right, let's get it going. James, I think we're starting with you today.
3: Sadior. Is a unique ruby dragon in its natural form. is a long, sinewy body covered with deep ruby red scales and at a distance is often mistaken for an ancient red. Sadior Works covertly against the planetarium and any human rulers who sought to imprison or make use of the psionics and any giant who sought hostile actions against dragons these actions include seeking out dragons to slay them destroy their eggs or to conquer their lairs uh, this dragon is worshipped by neutral dragons scions, and psychic warriors but doesn't require much from his followers. He doesn't try to guide their decisions, view him as an ideal to be stroked after and to help improve. Many sought out his clerics as a source of knowledge. The temples gained their wealth by charging their services. They showed little interest in politics. Sario is the first creation of the primordial dragons Bahamut and Tiamat. He helped them to create the first metallic and chromatic dragons. When the gods of the outer planes invaded the material plane, Sario hid in the heart of creation and is believed to have died when the first world was destroyed. However, some sages believe that Sadior's consciousness survived, shattered and fused all over the world in material plane.
1: Like the Terry of dragons? Yeah. Like the me of dragons, you think? (laughs) Yeah, just hiding away. Hiding (laughs) away. Do you think I'm hiding away? I don't hide. (laughs) Well, no, I was just, I was thinking of your, like, how you would react in terms of dragons coming. Oh, like, the fifth line, you know. I think Terry would be the most excited if
3: dragons showed up.
1: Maybe a toss up between him and Pepperina. No fair. Yeah, I
2: think Pepperina is going to be way more excited than me. I'm like an enthusiast from a distance. I don't need to be up close to dragons. Mm -hmm. Awesome. James, you got anything else on Sardio? That's what I've covered. There's some questions. Okay, perfect. Okay, let's go to it. Sardio is one of the ones which i don't even i didn't even really know too much about saudi until we started doing this
3: it's a, an unusual name that i think um like, yeah i didn't know this dragon existed prior to doing the research on this yeah 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 um okay cool
2: all right let's go into some questions and let's roll initiative first and then i'll throw the uh the questions that you got oh 16 for me 17. Whoa. okay kyle you're going first with the 17 james you can catch your breath and you'll go last uh so kyle first so the The obvious quest is that Sardior is still alive and in hiding, but where do you hide
1: him, and why is
2: he hiding in your homebrew
1: campaign? Uh, If I was going to pick anywhere he was going to hide, it's probably with the Ghisarai in Limbo, you know, or anywhere there's basically a pocket of psionics. But I think, like, the Ghisarai on Limbo, where they got that crazy little Citadel thing going on, I think I would probably hide him around there. Uh, As for why he's hiding in my homebrew, uh, probably because I wouldn't use him unless this player like specifically brought him up. Although like in terms of story, uh, it would be because you can't target. You can't be a target if everyone thinks you're dead. Okay. Okay. That makes absolute sense. Uh, I think
2: for me, I would maybe hide him. If I wanted to have him included into a campaign in a setting that I know most people I may visit, I would probably put him on the Sword Coast and like in Candlekeep probably. Uh, The reason being, that's a location for a a lot of knowledge. And so the reason that he would be hiding there based on his law and his neutrality is that that is a way for the dragon gods to to, um, maintain a constant understanding of where the humanoids' knowledge base is is at, particularly with humans, where every 40 years as humans, we get these new grand ideas about what is now correct. And then 40 years later, we change it and we roll through these different kind of legacies, uh, which can be quite chaotic in itself. And so it would allow uh, the Dragon Pantheon to keep an idea on where we are, how much we know, whether they need to influence us for whatever reason. Um, and to and to do that, would the best place to do that would be to keep Saryor in a place like Candlekeep, where we keep all of our knowledge so that uh, he can influence how we move forwards while maintaining uh, while being hidden. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle is nodding in approval uh, for those people at home. So that's good. Uh, James, what do you think? <laughs>
3: for me you would just the lore that's already there of how they everyone believed he died during the destruction of the first world but he's a gem dragon so he's shattered his consciousness into every gem on the planet that's why they have so much information mm-hmm, interesting in yeah. every room of every rich person they're wearing rings with the gems on them he has that information in every room has a pillar and a the giant uh, church or whatever right he has that information he's connected to all his own consciousnesses so he's an information broker but your party doesn't meet him as an information broker they meet him as a little hermit that sits outside the street that gives them good information interesting I so don't know he's a dragon god but he's there just to mess with the balance make sure it stays neutral oh so I he'll love- send your party to go defeat the bad guy but he'll also send the bad guy after your party to make sure they don't get too strong.
2: Oh, I like that I like, I like how that would increase the importance of, of rubies particularly within the game right you give them a significance whether you know maybe you can expand on that that divided consciousness when they can connect to him in some way because diamonds are the gem which is which you know we know are, are more important within d d but I like the way how that increases the importance of other gems and then you can expand on that for different reasons so I really like that idea
1: Cool. Yeah. I like the idea of making a party really paranoid too. right? Like yeah. it just can repeat stuff that your party thinks it said in confidence, yeah. right? When they were alone. Right. I'm like, oh shit, how did he get that information? Like how is he how is he spying on us kind of thing? I really yeah. like that idea, James. Yeah, yeah. That's I love it. I love it.
2: What about uh role-playing Kyle? How would you role play this kind of dragon god? Oh,
1: I mean KG and aloof, right? Like probably looking down on anybody who isn't a psionic, uh, and yeah just quick to kill like anybody that shits on dragons right no talk just straight to business kind of thing right
2: yeah yeah i see what you're saying um aloof definitely i think that i would have that i would have that distance as well and i think i would do it so that the so that sardio could continue to gather information that seems to be the way that i would want to lean into it knowledge and they would do that probably because DD players certainly but just people in general we like to talk and we like these kind of we have like these short-term brags of when we know something and people we tend to keep talking one thing about humans is i don't know for whatever reason everybody does it all we do it whatever we think we think is correct we think we automatically think we're correct until somebody proves us wrong. And so I like the idea that we would just keep word vomiting and just divulging things to this dragon where they may know more. Uh, but it's going to help them influence um, the, the, the world going forwards to maintain that balance of neutrality that James was talking about. So I might use this as an NPC of where to encourage the party to keep divulging things where they don't know what the uh, the consequence of that is going to be down the line. So I'd maybe use it that way.
1: Okay, interesting. So in terms of, I guess, alignment, how would you play Sardior? Well, I like
2: James's idea of of maintaining the balance. So that for me, that, you know, everybody, all of us has this idea of what we believe to be good, right? Or what we believe to be evil. And really, it depends. It depends on who you are in that seat. You know, I'm running Tyranny of Dragons right now. And I had this thing where, um, you know, I won't spoil it. But there's a, you know, a metallic dragon where they were trying to convince this metallic dragon, that they were good and that they should help them uh, because they're good. And he was saying, you know, good for who? Good for, the, good for the orcs, good for the dragons or the superior beings, and you're making them hide in layers, like, who is this supposed to be good for? Um, and mm-hmm. I think I would do that with this kind of dragon as well, where, you know, they, the, the party may think that they need to do this for whatever reason, because this is good, but I would emphasize the point that just because they think it's good, it not necessarily isn't. So for whatever reason, that means that in this occasion this neutral dragon needs to go against them because the neutral dragon believes that that will sway the balance of neutrality okay
1: because i mean the the way both you guys kind of put it it makes him seem kind of nefarious i guess would be the best way of putting it maybe
2: Maybe. Yeah. This is just me like spitballing on the spot. You know, I would flesh it out a little bit.
3: I don't see it as nefarious as the same way like the Jedi during the um, original or the prequel trilogy are technically not like they're nefarious. They are in charge of the whole galaxy. There's no balance between the Force and Star Wars when the Jedi are fully in charge. Mm hmm that's the good guys winning but that's not balance yeah so what sardior would have done was make sure the jedi fell Mm. or make sure the sith rose one of the two to bring balance so i'm not saying i'm doing things nefariously i'm making sure good can fight evil and
1: evil can balance good the necessary evil kind of thing
3: because without evil there's no good and without good people become evil
1: right i don't think it's nefarious
2: either i understand what i think i understand what james is trying to say with with balance and the way i try and put it across in my game is everybody thinks they know what good is or what their idea of good is but ultimately it doesn't it doesn't matter what you do it is bad for somebody and who decided that your good is more important than their good you know somebody's going to get hurt no matter what you do there is territory it's when when you have when when humans take over more territory somebody loses more territory so who's good right, you know it's. um. So I would I would I would really play into that balance know that it needs to be a 5050 split all the time, but you know if uh, you if the good guys decide that they got to go to war for this good reason well that means that thirty thousand innocent people on the other side are now going to get conscripted into this war and probably die and they actually haven't done anything against you if you don't go to war then they don't die so that's like Mm -hmm. there's always that there's always that balancing act and uh i like characters like i like this type of morality because it challenges that all the time adam's really good with it as well like if you decide you want to go and kill a bunch of orcs you'll show up at the orc camp and it will be full of uh pregnant uh female orcs and children like he'll challenge you like that and that's yeah. what i would want to do with this type of uh this type
1: of god okay yeah, cool okay yeah. uh okay what about exploration and clues I honestly i had a whole different answer but i really i really like james's original idea where he kind of splits his consciousness between all these rubies And so building on what I said earlier, is just, you know, you kind of get clued in by him or this mysterious stranger repeating stuff verbatim that your party has said. And so they kind of have to slowly piece together, Okay, well, how do we know what's the common connection between all these things and uh, how it relates back to him, I guess?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that seems to be James. I really like that as well. Um, and, And I can't I can't think of a better one. is is the honest answer. I mean, you could do it through people, like an increase of followers, I think, but it's difficult with, with neutral aligned creatures because how do you make something that's neutral more obvious in the world? you know you can tell when something more evil is happening or if there's a more of a good presence with things that are happening around but when things are just staying neutral it's hard to exaggerate that but i like the idea mm-hmm. of the that are being scattered around and increasing their um their importance within the game so i think i would probably copy that and i would use that i think is my favorite so far
3: for me i'd make sure that party besides for like the little hint of verbatim repeating what the party said when they thought they were alone i would give them no clues that this person exists as this as a dragon god they may give clues that they exist as an information really good information broker but not as a Mm -hmm. dragon god i'd never let the party know that okay so they could go like the entire the win condition of my dnd game is figuring out it's a dragon god if you figure Mm -hmm. out on day two game over we're done everyone can go home (laughs) <laughs> it's ruined everybody leave you ruined it you figured out the secret go home we're done yeah, the secret yeah uh.
2: all right cool okay uh let's move it on to the next one then kyle i think you're our next one to go bahamute interest i see online that there are two common pronunciations i see you, you and i differ you emphasize the bah bahamute
1: i emphasize the ha i mm-hmm. said bahamut but it was uh interesting bahamut, bahamut. He was first known to the other dragon gods as Zymor. Uh, the Eu- Untheric called him Marduk, while the Ferunians, Ferunians now know him as Bahamut, the platinum dragon, god of justice, nobility, protection, and honor. He is the patron and progenitor of metallic dragons. He is nearly 200 feet long with a tail to match. Bahamut possesses traits of all five kinds of uh, metallic dragons. So we will have the horns of... Oh, I'm drawing a blank, like silver dragons, you know, uh, the claws of gold dragons, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, his eyes change color depending on his mood, and he is covered in platinum-colored scales that have a faint blue sheen to them and are said to be almost indestructible. He is currently made a home for himself on in the seven heavens of Mount Celestia, though his aspect often travels the material plane in numerous different disguises, mostly human. His favorite being an old human wizard with seven golden canaries, who are really ancient gold dragons in disguise. Uh, and he goes by the name of Fizzban the Fabulous. Though he has been known to appear at, also as a prince, drawn by a carriage of seven horses, an urchin with seven friends, or a beggar with seven dogs. I mean, pretty much just the theme goes that there's him and then seven identical other things that travel with him. Uh, where does Bahamut come from? Well, the short answer is, no one really knows. And depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different answer. It may be that he was the son of Io, also known as Asgarath, the dragon deity of creation, and the brother of Tiamat and Null. The dragon of Abir believed that Tiamat and Bahamut were born from the sundered corpse of Asgarath after he was killed in the Dawn War. Well, according to gold dragons, he is the son of Tamera, the dragon goddess of life. Light, mercy, and forgiveness, and Lendis, the dragon god of justice and the judge of dragons in life after death. Uh, well, in Fizzbands, we also get the Elegy of the First World, which states that Bahamut and Tiamat were formed from the chaos at the beginning of time. Now, I'll be honest, the shit gets pretty hazy to me after this. I mean, I spent hours going over the lore and backtracking through events. And frankly, dragon history is just out of control in the Forgotten Realms. It has gotten almost unwieldy and no longer really makes sense. I mean, unless you go like, you know, the contested ideas of creation myths through different civilizations and all that stuff, but it's just, I found it frustrating, I guess. Okay, Uh, according to the Elegy of the First World, Tiamat and Bahamut essentially created the Material Plane, and with it, the First World. It supposedly did not exist before, However, at this point, we have already gone through the Dawn War, where Abir and Toril were split. Uh, Asgoreth and Erakus have fought, and humans exist, even if it is in a primitive form. And anyways, according to the Elegy of the First World, when it was created... All the other gods, particularly the ones from Mount Celestia, went, Hey, that's a neat place you got there. Can some of my creations hang out with you? The dragons did not like that idea, so they started a war with the Faerun pantheon, which ended up with Bahamut losing and Tiamat imprisoned. Eventually, Bahamut regained enough strength that he returned, but not to battle this time, just to kind of watch and see what all the fuss was about with all these new gods and then eventually opted to join the Pantheon for some unspecified reason, after which the First World was destroyed all for some unspecified reasons, but all signs kind of point to the Faerun gods just being irresponsible dicks with his creation. So after that came the Draco Holy War, a time in which dragons went to war over all things, what alignment Asgarath was. So like a petty uh, religious squabble just got out of hand. Uh, and this saw schism in Gold Dragon religion itself, with the younger Gold Dragons starting to worship Bahamut, while the older ones continued to worship Lendis and Tamara. Now, this conflict also led to the Dragonfall Wars, which saw hostilities between Bahamut and Tiamat come to a new level. Where, in response to a Worm General of Tiamat being killed by Bahamut, Tiamat creates the Dragon Spawn. Uh, forcing him in turn to create the Ux Bahamati, which functioned essentially as the beginnings of Dragonborn. Uh, now, eventually, the Untheric Pantheon rose to prominence, at which time Bahamut changed his name once again to Marduk and joined yet another pantheon until he and Timat fought each other personally over a god king in which both dragons die and essentially disappear from the world, uh, since Bahamut didn't have enough followers to resurrect him. Uh, until Gareth Dragon's traveled to the Abyss and destroyed the Wand of Orcus and brought back the Tree Gem from the destruction, which brought renewed interest in dragon gods and their worship from non-dragons, which restored Bahamut to deity status again. After all that comes a spell plague, during which time the House of the Triad on Mount Celestia is attacked by demons. Uh, Tyr and Torm, who are human gods, uh, call for help. Bahamut answers helping to destroy the demons, and a Stank's Tyr promotes Bahamut to, you guessed it, another fucking pantheon. Uh, Bahamut's allies are essentially uh, any good aligned draconic creatures, be they full dragons, dragonborn, or half-dragons. But I guess also Tyr and Torm, who Horm he is serving essentially in the same capacity as a knight. Yeah, so Bahamut is rarely traveling without his cancel of seven gold dragons, called Borkad the Claw. Kuria the Eye, I'm gonna fuck these names up so bad, Songrad the Wing, Grumar the Voice, Maro the Tail, Troanaxia the Presence, and Urgala the Fang. And they essentially act as a court, advising him on matters of honor and serving as a sort of jury when they judge evildoers. Uh, They can also act as emissaries, on tasks that did not require the gods' personal attention. No one really knows where they came from, whether they were rigorously selected from among gold dragons, or whether they were once mortals who exemplified Bahamut's principles to such a degree that they were awarded the status after death. Uh, These gold dragons, as I said earlier, take many forms to blend in when Bahamut is walking the world in non-dragon form, uh, but most often as the seven golden canaries. Uh, now, I'm supposed to tell you how Palindine from Dragonlance and Bahamut differ, but to be honest, the lore is like so inconsistent that it's really hard to hammer out why. Uh, so, if any listeners can give me a concise answer, I'm all ears. But frankly, they can both fuck off. Uh, my best guess is that Palindine is just more powerful, right? Like, it's just, I think Bahamut is considered a lesser deity, where Paladyne is like the upper echelons of. Right,
2: right awesome kyle thanks that was uh
1: I'm sorry i'm cutting you off is there anything else for bahama oh yeah i got i got more so uh <laughs> gives us uh the aspect for bahamute which stands like at uh cr30 uh so well it should be a hard no in terms of ever have here party fight this thing you know how parties can be uh it is a gargantuan lawful good dragon with an ac of 23 and just shy of 600 hit points It has a walking speed of 60 feet, burrowing speed of 60 feet, swimming speed of 60 feet, and 120 feet of flying. Its stats are all between 25 and 30, except for dex, which sits at a lowly plus 4. It has massive bonuses to con, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws, as well as to insight, perception, and persuasion. It is immune to acid, cold, fire, lightning, radiant, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks and from being charmed, deafened, frightened, paralyzed, and stunned. It has true sight out to 120 feet, and a passive perception of 28. Uh, Strangely, though, it only speaks Draconic and Common. You know, like, I figured it would have at least had Celestial since Bami lives on Mount Celestia. Or, I mean, all languages, like most gods have. But uh, for traits, it has five Legendary resistances. Uh, And something called Platinum Brilliance, which recharges after a short or a long rest. Uh, So basically, if the aspect is reduced to zero hit points, it instead automatically resets to 500 hit points, gets its breath weapon back, and all legendary resistances. As well as being able to use Mythic Actions, which basically gives them two new options for legendary actions. Uh, If opting to go this route, it also recommends you immediately give your players 155,000 experience points uh, just for getting through the first round of the Aspect. For actions, it can take one bite, claw, and tail attack, Uh, each get a plus 19 to hit on one target. Uh, The bite has a 20-foot reach and deals 2d12 plus 10 piercing damage and 4d10 force damage. The Claw has a 15-foot reach and deals 2d10 plus 10 slashing damage and grapples a huge or smaller creature uh, with an escape DC of 20, uh, though it can only grapple one creature at a time. The Tail Attack also comes with a 15-foot reach and deals 2d12 bludgeoning damage and forces the target to make a DC 27 strength save or be knocked prone. Uh, The two Breath weapons recharge on a 5 or 6. The first is Exalting Breath. Where it channels the winds of Mount Celestia in a 300 foot cone, and each creature of the Aspects Choice regains 13 D10 hit points and is restored to full life or restored to life with full hit points if it has not been dead for more than an hour, which is just insane. Uh, It also has a Platinum Breath, where it shoots these radiant platinum flames in a 300 foot cone, uh, dealing 12 D10 radiant damage. Uh, on a failed DC 26 deck save, and half as much on a successful one. As a bonus action, the Aspect can change its shape, magically transforming into any humanoid or beast, keeping all the same stats except for its size, uh, until it uses another bonus action to either end this uh, transformation or is reduced to zero hit points. So in its first form, it gets three legendary action points, which it can spend two ways. And the first is an attack, where uh, first is an attack where it can make a claw or a tail attack, or it can choose furious bite, which costs two actions, where it can make a bite attack, uh, forcing the target to make a DC 27 Wisdom saving throw or be frightened until the end of the target's next turn. Uh, and once it has also used its platinum brilliance trait, it can then also use. Celestial Shield for two actions, where seven spectral ancient gold dragons like appear around him, and he gains seventy-seven temporary hit points until the start of his next turn. I'm guessing the seven gold dragons just represent the hit points because it doesn't say how they would go into initiative and only last until the aspect's next turn. Uh, Finally, the last one he gets is celestial lances uh, for three actions, where it conjures four massive lances a magical force that strike the ground in four different places within 150 feet of the aspect. Each creature within a 20-foot radius and a 100-foot high cylinder centered on each point make, must make a DC 27 deck saving throw or take 7d6 force damage. Uh, a creature can only be affected by one lance at a time, so you can't drop them all on the same player no matter how much you really want to.
2: Awesome. Wow. Thanks, Kyle. That was uh that was a lot. It was good. There's a lot I didn't even know there. Um okay, awesome. All right, let's go jump into our questions here then. So uh same initiative. Kyle, we're gonna keep you going first here. So good quest idea oh.
1: uh, based around Bahamut. What do you think? Son of a bitch. Um I, I don't know. Uh, dressed as just a regular dude. He asked you to go kill some of Femat's bastard children. Honestly, I didn't have a I didn't have a lot for this guy. <laughs> But,
2: uh... <laughs> he's uh, it can be difficult for the good-aligned dragons. So, like, I'll give you mine because I feel like with the evil-aligned dragons and the, and the dragon gods, it's it's so much more obvious. What you know, you're you're on the good side. You're trying to fight the bad guys, and you come up with interesting ways to do that. It's harder with the good-aligned stuff. The way I I have bah- Bahamut is um, he he's quite involved in my tyranny of dragons campaign, and uh, I have a paladin that's sworn an oath to Bahamut. And basically, what I do is just make that oath, that good-aligned oath that he has, just constantly inconvenient. Constantly. Like, um, uh, for example, like Bahamut will have him doing things that he doesn't necessarily understand why he's doing it. Um, you know, so he may have to kill somebody who is very well-known, who everybody believes to be good... And, you know, and he's very well loved and he'll have to do it publicly. And it seems like the wrong thing. And, the, you know, the bigger picture is that he's secretly not a good guy. And he's one of the bad guys in, in disguise and blah, blah, blah. But not everybody knows that. Or because he's sworn an oath for, for good, he cannot do anything evil ever because he's sworn a, an oath to Bahamut. So he's constantly being tested with that. Things are put in front of him. I put, you know, his backstory for this player was that he has beef with tieflings because tieflings kill his whole family, whatever, D&D backstories, you know. And so I constantly Mm. put like those types of challenges in front of him to make him try and do something evil. And he knows that uh, there is an ancient bronze dragon that will come and try and kill him if he does that because he's failed and he's been assigned that task by Bahamut to do that. So it's uh, so I, I have that different kind of challenge. Where yes, it's not evil aligned, but it's it's very difficult to maintain that that standard of good. I try and pull ideas from like the Old Testament uh, to kind of use with the draconic pantheon for that kind of thing. So that's what I would do. I'd play with something
1: like that. Okay, yeah, the moral quandary kind of thing. My biggest issue with him is that it's just, I, I don't know, I, I guess I got frustrated by his backstory because he just, it was really wishy-washy, right? It kind of jumped all over the place and he didn't really strike me as necessarily a good character, right? Sure, he's aligned with good people, but, I mean, he just does things out of convenience a lot of the time and will just... Instead of being actively good and trying to make a difference, he stands back and just waits. He, he would go for inaction over, you know, being a paragon of good, I suppose. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I think the way I kind of play that is that we maybe don't necessarily understand like good on what scale, like long term good. Because he might be thinking this is not good for the next 2000 years or not going to go well. And I know you want me to change mm-hmm. it today but that's actually not going to be the best thing. So I I try and play it like that. Like, we just don't understand, you know, because we're humans. The Bahamut works in mysterious way, kind of thing. Bahamut works in mysterious ways and inconvenient ways often. James, anything on quests? Uh,
3: Yeah, I had two ideas. One idea is Bahamut and Tiamat are siblings, and this all just got out of hand. They had a sibling argument millennia ago, worlds ago, and other dragons just pick their side and it just increase and increase and elevated and elevated to the point where they have to fight each other they have to quote unquote kill each other just to get a break so neither of them are truly good or truly evil they're just fulfilling the role that everyone has pushed upon them so either a quest based on that idea like exposing that they're just running the motions at this point and they don't like this or my other quest idea is Bahamut sends you out to go take out zealotus, um, bronze, and gold dragons. So dragons that are supposed to be good, but their definition of good is too extreme. Like someone littered, they get killed. Right. So now you guys need to go out and take out these overly good dragons.
2: Oh. Interesting.
3: By the definition of good. I like the way you've looked at those from different angles. I like
2: the first idea where, you know, we th- we think that there's the dragon gods that are controlling what we're doing and why we're doing it. But it's actually just got out of hand. And now they feel like they, they are expected to maintain this moving forwards, even though that was not really their intention.
3: Well, Because at this point, they know every dragon, both metallic and chromatic, could rise up against both of them. Right. Just because they're no longer fulfilling their role. Toothpaste out of the tube. Yeah,
1: I get mm-hmm. it. That's interesting, or like the idea that they've been silent for so long that people have lost sight of what their original mission is,
2: mm.
1: and so now it's just kind of cascaded into an effect where you know they think they're doing good, but they've forgotten the original meaning of Christmas kind of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I
2: like that. Awesome, Kyle. What about uh role playing?
1: Uh I mean, I imagine him to just be like holier than now, um, and you know, Kyle stand like back, him. let. Let let people make their own mistakes. Um, you know, I I just imagine him very hands off, right? Like, when I was reading when I was reading the lore, basically the original split between Tiamat and Bahamut was that uh, they created the first world together, and then the Fair Room gods came in and destroyed it. And Tiamat was pissed and was like, "I'm gonna fucking kill everybody." And Bahamut's like, mm, nah you know what? I'm just gonna chill out with them over there. You know, mistakes happen. That's what it is." live and let live kind of thing i just i he strikes me as a very kind of like hands hands off kind of god yeah i think i would play it
2: that way as well i play hands off i would play it that i you know the opposite being that tiamat i don't play that way she's very involved you know exactly what she wants when she wants it and you're expected mm-hmm. to follow it Bahamut, it's not entirely clear it's not even entirely clear if he cares not even sure if he's really listening and i i like that idea because that's yeah. hard to work with you know you think you know what you're supposed to be doing but you're not really sure and doesn't
3: seem to be confirming it either way i'd play him like kelso from the 70s show right okay yeah. an absolute idiot but like more or less a heart of gold he cares about people and wants to do right but he's got six brain cells to rub together so he doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do right i understand yeah
1: okay
2: Stay
3: spent too from... long in
2: human form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stay away from those people internet, okay? They have all the best intentions but uh incompetence will hurt you long term. So, there we go. Um great. Okay, exploration clues Kyle.
1: I I imagine running across him at, in human form like chances are I think if you ever ran into mute, you would never know it was mute right? I imagine it would be I would play him as some weirdo giving like really cryptic hints um you know kind of someone who seems like kind of drug adult and just hanging out by themselves I really like the idea of you know the the urchin just wandering around kind of doing things like the small the small little help that somehow uh comes in big at the very end yeah yeah I'm with you I think I, yeah I like it
2: yeah I've been I've been playing it as not just the moral ca- uh quandaries that I was talking about earlier but for those people that claim to be aligned or followers of Bahamut, I give them just constant challenges, put evil in front of them that's coming from Bahamut. Like the idea of, you know, the gods will give their best soldiers the biggest challenges, I do that. I put con- constantly difficult, hitting all kinds, uh, all parts of the character sheet, uh, whether it's like affecting their, their, their movements, not just their alignments, but like blinding them, giving them diseases, giving them everything um that uh, there are clear challenges that are coming from bahama um uh, so there's like this long term kind of test it's i never have it is it should never be easy to follow a god particularly a evil god that's how i play it
1: okay interesting do you do the same thing for like evil characters where you'll put a, well it's a choice to be good in front of them
2: no because they i don't do it the other way around because tiamat has no interest in testing you to see if you are good Tiamat is the opposite. That if you fail, you're dead. That's it. So it's difficult, but for another for another reason, this is more the Bahamas side is more like training. Like I have something bigger for you. And you're going to get tested every step along the way. And it's going to get harder and harder and harder. So when you get to that biggest challenge, I know that you're prepared and you know that you're prepared, but it's not easy. I don't like this idea of, you know, you go to whatever church your your God is at in D&D and you say that you swear an oath to them, everything's great. And then your life is great from then on. Absolutely not. It should be harder, if anything. If you're saying you're this good aligned thing, you should be tested constantly. Yeah. Cool. Combat, Kyle.
1: Don't. Like, why would you fight this thing? Right? If you're a party, just don't even try. But I mean, I, I could see it. If I was going to have a combat with this aspect, I mean, I would have it at the same time that there is a Tiamat aspect, right? They come out to battle each other, the ultimate showdown kind of thing. Um, I, I especially think about the like the exalting breath where I can basically bring creatures back from the dead. It just seems a good way of allowing your party to fight the tiamat aspect and not get horrifically murdered immediately mm-hmm. yeah for me
2: if you're planning on taking on this aspect uh i think with D D we get sucked up in this idea that we have to fight everything from 30 feet or closer you know when you get to the level that you're taking this on, thing on you need distance out in the open if you can If it's coming to the material plane and distance, like a couple of hundred feet away, there's long range spells. At that point, you can affect the weather. You can, you know, you have your own followers, you know, even a longbow can hit them from distance. But I think constantly maintaining that distance so that they're using their turn to try and get closer to you because there's a lot of great abilities, but there isn't anything with too much distance. So out in the open and stay far away and keep hitting it and make sure you keep that distance and good luck.
3: I like Kyle's idea of having the two aspects fight, but I'd also connect it to what my idea was earlier that they don't actually want to be fight fighting. So it's a powerful illusion that affects the real world. Mm -hmm. And as your players go throughout the campaign, these two will fight often, and as your players learn more and more that they don't want to be fighting each other, they'll see less and less of the illusion each time. So in the final quote fight, you'll figure out who you're actually fighting. So you, Tiamat, Bahamut, and the party will fight someone else greater together in the final fight. Where everyone's watching Tiamat and Bahamut fight, you fought 5, 10, or whatever, saving the world, but no one's going to know. They're going to think these two dragons fought, and these two dragons killed each other again, and you're the party that was responsible for making it
1: happen. Right. Interesting. So, like, the the secret bad guy all along was just, just trying to initiate this fight? Right. it wasn't actually they... they're
3: trying to invade this realm mm-hmm. and each of these major battles that tiamat and bahamut would be illusioning would be a break point for that invasion so either like a general's coming or a new portals opening and you need to do something to stop it each time and at the very final battle the big guy shows up and all of you are fighting so three gods with you fighting beside them give the players bonuses or blessings from both the gods on their side to make sure they don't die instantly like resistance to all damage types so they take half damage from absolutely everything
2: okay
3: yeah and you can still have a god level fight without your players just melting in the first round of combat
2: okay
1: good <laughs> i could get down with that <laughs>
3: okay
2: awesome Okay, perfect. Okay, let's move on to our last one then. So I will take us from here with uh, Tiamat. So Tiamat is a unique chromatic dragon in that she has one head for each of the primary colors of the most common species of chromatic. So that's black, blue, green, red, white. Each head operates entirely independently of the others and has the powers of the member of the respective race of that dragon kind. So black has acid, red has fire, etc. Her body also has traits in common with that of a wyvern as well, including a long tail, which is tipped with a venomous stinger. Tiamat also has three main avatars. She has one known as the Dark Lady, which is a woman with long, dark hair and completely black eyes. She always wears dark robes and frequently has a seductive smile on her face. Which reminds me of a former goth girlfriend I had. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about your obsession with goths. Good <laughs> uh, obsession had- to have, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, the chromatic dragon, which is the I think the one that most people know, the dramatic uh the, the chromatic dragon form. With, uh, with stubby legs, apparently. I never really noticed that, but apparently <laughs> that avatar has stubby legs. And everybody knows the five heads of the chromatic dragons. Uh, but the skin of her body also merges together into three significant stripes. Uh, so there's the blue-green stripe. There's like a gray and purpley kind of area. And then finally a brown skin, which covers her tail. And the final form is the undying queen, which is essentially a dracolich version of the chromatic dragon form that I just discussed there. So Tiamat is, she, throughout her lore, she's been in different areas, but I feel like all of that is kind of getting forgotten as we solely concentrate on the fact that Tiamat is imprisoned in Avernus. I don't see it as imprisoned, like she's all chained up and she's not happy. I feel like Tiamat is living a pretty good existence um, in, in Avernus. You know, she has
3: followers like down Swiss there. Like a down there. She's what, sorry? like a swiss prison okay. they okay. have like TVs, nice luxury beds room service are they really in, Sw- in swiss prisons they have room service i don't know if it's room service but swiss prisons like look nice
1: yeah they're not bad oh, okay also uh, like the scandinavian countries have like pretty good ones yeah
3: a lot of places treat their prisoners like human beings yeah All right okay and i would treat them how they treated
2: others in society that's what they get from me but uh yeah sure. so you're in there for, depends what you're in there for is how i treat you um okay so tiamat mostly pronounced tiamat as i say it. apparently some people in the world pronounce it tiamat like how some people say taco do what you want but you're wrong um she is the lawful evil dragon goddess of greed she's the queen of evil dragons
1: Wait, wait 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 i'm sorry there's two ways to pronounce taco Well, okay, here's the thing.
2: I won't beat this horse to death uh, any longer. But there's an issue with vowels in North America where there's like three vowels instead of five, and there's this weird ah sound, which is not A. It's not ah, and it's not ah of an O. So to me... So, so yeah, so to me, it sounds like you're saying taco, like T-O-C-K-O, taco. It doesn't sound like taco. It doesn't sound like taco. It's like a weird ah. That's not really a vowel to me, but sure you know so tiamat doesn't it's not i don't know which vowel that is. tiamat um okay get, uh, uh for a while she was also the reluctant servant of the greater gods bane and later as modius before entering the phaerunian pantheon she was a member of the draconic pantheon and for some time she was also a member of the untheric pantheon which i don't really know too much about maybe some people out there do Tiamat is also the eternal rival of her brother Bahamut, who's the ruler of the good metallic dragons we just learned about. Though some people do speculate that actually the two are former lovers, um, I think that argue you could argue that perhaps you could do both. I've kind of touched on the fact in my campaign that it might be both. It's a bit Game of Thronesy, but they're not people, they're dragons, and they don't care what you think, so that's what they do. Tiamat is notoriously arrogant. She's greedy, hateful, spiteful, and she is vain. She never forgives any kind of slight ever and is solely focused on obtaining more power and wealth, which sounds incredibly stressful to work for. Like you could have a 20-year career in the Cult of the Dragon and have never failed ever, and then you're two minutes late to a meeting and you're dead, and so is your whole family for generations. Sounds incredibly stressful, Uh, but that's the way she is, and I stick to that to a T in my campaign as well
3: it kind of uh, sounds like a toddler I, that was given immense power <laughs> a toddler
0: yeah it? a little bit
1: um i also i also kind of imagine like you make a mistake your first day like you know you put the emphasis on the wrong a in her name and then she'll just never lets you live it down <laughs>
2: yeah that's it yeah uh, she disdains mortals she regards them as disposable tools in her schemes when needed, she is known to be charming and even fey-like, but her self-serving and reptilian personality will betray her sooner or later, uh, as it does with all of us. I feel like people are on their best behavior when you first meet them, and eventually you start to see through the cracks of how they really might be. Not that everybody's bad, but I mean, you know, we all have a personality. Uh, so I like the idea of seeing that come through. I imagine that she gets, she. I imagine that Tiamat will probably have like flash anger and then have to calm herself back down. Um, but on a much more exaggerated scale. So Tiamat does enjoy the company of dragons and she's known to have many great worm consorts of the chromatic varieties around her. She has an insatiable greed for treasures, but it is known that she does prefer her followers to bring those gifts to her instead of searching for riches on her own. I'm sure that's just a power play more than anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tiamat's agenda of wanting to take over control of the realms is widely known. Uh, She's been thwarted again and again by her enemies, but she has never given up. She has a particular interest in controlling some uh, some certain regions, Anther and Chesenta. And after the spell plague, she did show an interest in Murgholm, there, and the dragon empires of Laracon. That's going to be deep lore for me. I don't know too much about those regions. There's a lot of regions in D&D, uh, but those are regions that she has wanted to conquer. Uh, she's known that to not like leaving her lair Uh, However, she will if it helps her advance her agenda, but she typically will work through her church or her other agents in, like the cult of the dragon. Uh, Tiamat keeps an active watch over all of the dragons of evil kind and always tries to stir them to further her actions. um, and, and, And lean and leverages their pride and their wickedness to further her agenda. She essentially encourages and enables them to do evil things all of the time. She does have some known relationships and followers. So Tiamat has made quite an int- uh, an impact on the cult of the dragon, and she's claimed some of their members as her worshippers. Most evil dragons will worship Tiamat since their uh, species first appeared in Toril, and kobolds believe that Tiamat created them. For the Church of Tiamat itself, the Church of Tiamat is regimented by a strict hierarchy of ranks and titles, and Tiamat's clerics are, are occupied by the twin tasks. There's two tasks, one of, in- of acquiring ever-increasing an ever increasing hoard of wealth for her, and the and the second agenda is to destroy all of the other uh, faiths of the other deities as well. There are a number of named worshippers that she has in D D lore. For those of you that have read the Tyranny or played the Tyranny of Dragons campaign, you'll have heard of Severin Selradian, resmia the Half Dragon, Narenvein um, of the Misty Forest, and Arkan the Cruel, who's Joe Manganello's character, who's becoming more and more popular um, in Tiamat campaigns. And there are two stat blocks that I want to visit with you guys. There is one that comes from uh, Fizzbands itself and then one that comes from the Rise of Tiamat. Um, the first one, we'll take a look at the one from the Rise of Tiamat. So she's a gargantuan fiend, okay, which means essentially she can be as big as you want her to be. The standard gargantuan size is four by four grid squares or larger than that. Armor class of 25 with natural armor. That is, and I'll point out the differences that is different to the Fizzbands aspect of Tiamat, which comes with an armor class of 23. In Rise of Tiamat, we see hit points of 615 compared to the Fizzbands aspect of Tiamat with hit points of uh, 574. The speeds are very similar. Tiamat does get a swim speed in the Fizzbands aspect of Tiamat, though. The stats are particularly different. The stats are arguably stronger. Uh, For the aspect of Tiamat, there are some stats that were uh, Tiamat's dexterity, for example, in the Rise of Tiamat campaign, she has dexterity of 10. Um, She doesn't have anything under a a 14 uh, for the aspect of Tiamat from Fizvan's book. The abilities will change somewhat as well. She gets multi-attacks, of course, with claw, tail, frightful presence that all of the larger dragons will get. Uh, the, uh, Bands book will give her legendary actions or legendary actions she can do. She gets five legendary actions on that stat block and they can be the breath weapons of any of those five dragon heads. Um, so it costs two legendary actions to do that. So you're looking at at least two breath weapons as legendary actions on Tiamat's turn, which means she takes them at the end of somebody else's turn in addition to her own actions, uh, which she has, The aspect of Tiamat has some abilities that are similar or or essentially the same as what Kyle went through with Bahamut, the Chromatic Flames, for example. So this is uh, a 300-foot cone that then requires a a DC 27 dexterity save, and you're going to be taking an average of 71 points of damage from that. Uh, This is uh, is just a standard action that Tiamat has. It's going to be any of the five elemental types uh, that Tiamat covers. The legendary actions are a little bit different with the aspect of Tiamat from Fizzbands. She has a Furious Bite. This costs two legendary actions. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a single bite attack, but if the attack hits a creature, uh, the creature is required to make a DC 20, 27 Wisdom Saving Throw, or they'll become frightened of the aspect until the end of their next turn. She gets mythic actions as well. She can hurl creatures through Avernus for the cost of two actions. Uh, that requires a DC 25 charisma save, or you're going to take 44 psychic damage and be banished to Avernus, where you will return at the start of uh, Tiamat's next turn. And you'll return 10 feet from her when you do that. So it's not life's not going to get any better for you after that. And then she also has chromatic flare, DC 27 dex save, On a failed save, we're looking at an average of 39 points of damage from any of the five elements, chromatic elements. um, And the successful creature takes half of that damage if they are successful on their save. So those are the two stat blocks. I just touched on the major differences there. I am probably going to blend these stat blocks when it comes time for me to run this because I like good stuff on either side. It's not really supposed to be, you know, it shouldn't be easy either way. So I'm probably going to take advantage of uh, things from either side of these stat blocks. All right. Okay. But that's it for me. That's everything, uh, everything from TMAT. Anything jumping out there, guys, that we want to touch on as I scroll up
1: to these questions. I like the TMAT from Ride the TMAT a lot more than I like the aspect of TMAT. Uh, it of seems more on uh, it seems more on brand with the five different heads, you know, right? Like right. with the aspect of TMAT, it doesn't really address it at all. There's no change, like all five heads do the same breath weapon, whereas the other one it does. You know, right? And I think the bite, uh, I mean, I like the idea of being able to bite and do different kinds of damage depending on which head does it. Right, right, yeah. Okay, I'm agreed with you there. What about a quest, Kyle? Your old highest, what do you think for a quest? Okay, so I was thinking about, I mean, pretty standard. The cult is trying to free team out from a furnace uh, so that she can essentially destroy the world and reshape it in her own image. Uh, she has given the... Uh, cult members, the secret of how to make themselves into dragons. So then, slowly uh, throughout the quest, you have a cult, you're facing cult members that are like slowly becoming more and more draconic like. Um, so I'm just imagining fighting some like creepy ass amalgams. Um, by the end of the campaign, where it's you know a full on dragon with the wings and the long neck and the tail, except it just has a human face at the end of the neck.
2: with you i like it uh oh sorry i was waiting for for james but he's going last yeah for me for um a quest i think because i'm running tyranny of dragons i like the idea of what would happen afterwards if tiamat uh is risen to the material plane so i would like the idea of an entire campaign that that follows rise of tiamat so i want to imagine the that the last adventuring party has failed and now tiamat rules the prime material plane so now we imagine Waterdeep, at Baldur's Gate, all of those places in this like post-apocalyptic kind of world where you are now the resistance that is trying to regain control of that world. So it's a complete reimagining of how we know uh, the Sword Coast would be.
3: So that would okay, be- I like that. James? Uh, I'm actually going to take a bit from both your ideas. So I'm going to do the same with uh, Terry after the fact, but take from Kyle, the people changing into dragons. So what your party has to do, you're sent out from a sanctuary city that is protected by the Holy Order of Bahamut or whatever, so this city can't be attacked. But you're set out to kill every single one of those people that turned to get whatever part is so you can turn into a dragon and fight on more level ground. So you go from being even a level 20 human to a level 20 dragon at the very end. Essentially giving them true polymorph without giving them true polymorph. Ah, I like it. That's powerful. That would be
2: I think you need to be probably an experienced DM to run that because you said, very
3: experienced yeah. DM and an experienced party too. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be yeah. run with people who don't know how this goes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like or it. people um, who
3: spend most of the time on their phone or don't pay attention. Like it needs to be a group that's dedicated to playing this. Yeah, that's. There's going to be a lot to think about. Your stat uh, block would change every few levels when you added a new piece of a dragon to you. So that'd be a lot of work for the players, a lot of work for the DM, and a lot of things to remember.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: It'd be fun as hell.
2: <laughs> it would that be would good. It one. would be good. Like it would be a good like epic level campaign. I like it.
1: Cool, uh Kyle. What about role play? Okay, uh, for role play, I mean, I imagine team had to be very condescending, conniving, rude, and I would also. Have- have her just push buttons of the party to get a reaction. You know, like I would keep a list of all the things that that I said that like irks a player character throughout a campaign. And then I would make sure that she said every single one during the final confrontation, right? (laughs) Like just try to push them to like be furious by the time they start the battle.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's attack the players, not the characters on that one, I think. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I would probably do it very similar. In, incredibly arrogant. I think I would have I think I would have it that you would have to do something really significant in her presence to even get her attention. You know, Tiamat has no loyalty to anyone, even her own followers. She has no real respect for anyone. But I think I would lean into what Kyle's saying. Absolutely, whatever is Berk, the players, or whatever you know, will bother them. Uh, even if that is, don't even acknowledge them. Even if they're talking, even if they're trying to talk with Tiamat. Don't even look. Oh, at them. Just, yeah. Just talk over them. Talk over them. Don't even acknowledge it. Just keep talking to whoever you decide you want to talk to because that, I know that bothers us. Like, I have a thing with that. Like, if I feel disrespected, I, like, I'll yeah. make, like, I'm not good at being disrespected <laughs> at all. And I'll let you know and I'll make you cry. And like, I think if, if somebody was going to play Tiamat against me, that's all they need to do is ignore me and I will get. Yeah. I will go for overkill and I will probably make mistakes because I would probably want to hurt them. I think that yeah, not hurt, not physically hurt them, internet, just make them feel
3: what I was feeling, that disrespect. All right, cool. James, role-playing TMI. How do we do it? A bratty sibling at the end of the day. Like, yeah, she's all powerful. Yeah, she's evil. But at the end of the day, I feel like she's just a brat. It's like doesn't get her way. So she has a temper tantrum as a hissy fit. Someone doesn't respect her, so she beats him up, kills them, mocks them, does whatever. Like, I feel her like just being a little sibling that her older brother ignored her for too long, and now she's trying to get attention.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that.
3: The bratty side I like, right? Because she's so
2: powerful, you feel like this comes with a certain, and she's clearly very intelligent, but I think you think it comes with a certain amount of, like, uh, wisdom or kind of composure. Yeah.
3: Uh, but really, to have, she just like i feel like they were born with these powers so they're super intelligent toddlers essentially
2: yes yeah
3: yeah you may be all powerful but you don't have the lived experience of someone who isn't all powerful your lived experience is you being a god and doing whatever the hell you want whereas most people even who do become that powerful had someone above them prior to so they had to learn respect learn to hold back learn to understand the world around them but when you're that strong and no one to challenge you until mm-hmm. another group of gods came in centuries later and destroyed your home world like of course you're going to be both bahamut and tmi you're going to be standoffish as bahamut and a bitch as tmi <laughs> like there's no way around it yes yeah
2: yeah absolutely yeah absolutely um what about exploration and clues kyle uh
1: okay so building up the thing i was saying before i i would leave a trail of dead chromatic dragons, right? Like your party gets sent to to go kill these dragons. And then by the time they get there, the dragon is already dead, but it's just got pieces missing, right? Like it's missing its head. It's missing a wing or missing a claw in this time, right? And so the cult is basically building a body for Tiamat to inhabit out of all these dead chromatic dragons. So you're trying to figure out like who got here before you why are these dragons already dead and why are they missing these pieces
2: right right yeah i like that i like the trail of the of the chromatic dragons yeah i think i would really exaggerate the regional effects i would have really widespread regional effects i would have wildfires starting storms coming food spoiling water turning acidic uh that night nighttime being really cold noticeably colder than it used to be and I would just I would have this widespread across the land not just within a certain six mile radius or something um and people would be taking this as omens that Tiamat is going to return so I would really lean into the regional effects I think
3: okay that'd be pretty cool I like the idea of the regional effects but I would do hard borders on them. So 6, 10, 12 kilometers from the area, whatever it is, the area is engulfed in fire. But right. six inches from that edge where the rest of the forest is, that fire is not spreading. Uh, fire yeah. is going nowhere. That lake is filled with acid halfway through. The other half is a perfectly normal lake. So everything is to the extreme and to the edge, but doesn't go beyond its region. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I like that. So you could be in a town on a lake where there's hundreds of towns, tons of fishing villages, and nobody knows the back half of the lake is a poison storm. Yeah. Nobody knows because nobody goes back there. There's no need to go fishing back there. Yeah. Then someone disappears, and that's how your party gets drawn in to the lake. And they realize, oh, half the lake's poison. Why the hell is half the lake poison? Oh, the forest is on fire at a hard line. Like what's going on?
2: Yeah, I like that. And then it's a significant moment when you make the conscious choice to cross that line to go to yeah. everything beside. Yeah, I like that. I like it.
1: Kyle combat. I mean, considering Tiamat's size and reach, unless you are fighting on a pretty big map area, you should be able to hit basically everybody without moving, right? So nobody would be safe any turn. I am doing, I'm going to hit one person with the tail, one person with the hand, one person is going to get bit, right? Every time. I don't imagine there is sort of um, a planned battle from Tiamat. I imagine like working into her character it's just like blind rage and that's how she fights
2: right right okay and i think that makes sense that is um i understand how that would be what tiamat would do i think i likely maybe i might do it slightly differently i don't think i'd spread it out like that i think i'm not thinking in a way of like if i was controlling tiamat like how to be the most strategic. I would try and make it as interesting as I can for the players. And by interesting, I mean, I want to just stress them to hell. I want to destroy all of their plan because they'll plan for two hours before they go into this thing. So one at a time, I'm just going to hit one team member. I'm going to have them unconscious so that they have to spend their entire turn trying to figure out how to bring that person back. I will move backwards, change location, fly out of the ladder, do what I need to do. But every round there's enough going on where I think I can get one person down. And I'll just drag this battle out, move them through different elements into different places. So ultimately, they can have their heroic moment if they do manage to get to the end. But I'm just going to make it as stressful as I can for one person at a time so that they're always reacting to
3: my bullshit.
2: And they're never able to get their their own plan off the ground.
3: Yeah, that's a good idea. I would do similar where Tiamat fights extremely intelligently. Like she knows your plan before you made it. Right. This is where as a DM, especially with Tiamat, I would do slight meta when as the DM, I know their plan. So I would allow Tiamat a bit of foresight into that plan. And the only way I would allow the players to have a good chance of beating her is to emotionally upset her. She's hard to actually get off her track when she's in battle, because this is her element. She loves this. But if you can get her truly mad, that's when she starts making major mistakes. So instead of going after the player that's right in front of her that has one hit point left that you could wipe out, she'll go for the person behind because he said boo to her.
0: Right, right.
3: Gives the party a chance to get their plan off the ground if they can get under her skin. And this is the one time she's almost impossible to get pissed off. I I like yeah. that
2: change because I appreciate the, the, the honesty to uh, TMI's personality. Yeah. Like if they do well and they piss her off, she will change and she may become more reactive or she will change somehow. So I I like that because then you're not just like, you're not ignoring the party's efforts of what they're trying to do to change the situation to themselves. So like I think that's staying true to Tiamat's character. Um, I think that's good. All right, so before we wrap it up, uh, let's cut to our last ad break.
4: If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit, r itsamimic It's a Mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running.
1: And Kyle, I believe in our last five minutes here, you've got a little something for us. Yeah, so we can't have a conversation about Dragon Gods without mentioning Eberron, because I think in this podcast, we need to mention Eberron every single day. Uh, so Dave has covered them in depth uh, in the Eberron series and he did that he did a couple of years ago. But uh, I mean, here's a quick recap in case anybody missed it. So in the beginning, there was Siberius, Eberron, and Kyber. Together, they created the 13 planes, which in each one of them embodied a different concept. Uh, and then they also created the material plane, where these 13 concepts could all kind of manifest together. So you get war with peace, you know, chaos, order, all that stuff. So the only problem is that Kyber wished to rule it alone. Uh, so Kyber killed Siberius, which created the ring of dragons' charts that surrounded the planet. Kyber then sought to kill Eberron as well, but failed. And Eberon, knowing that they could not kill Cyber because, or Kyber because they're not powerful enough, instead turned themselves into a prison and trapped Kyber within. So now it is said that Eberron became the planet itself, while Kyber became the Underdark and the creator of demons and aberrations, forever hoping and plotting to one day escape from the prison of Eberron. So Eberron also has something called the Draconic Prophecy, where Eberron itself basically whispers possible futures to the people who can read it. Knot patterns appear in strange places, like rock formations or ice crystal patterns, and they basically show a map that can be used to guide histories. The clues are often cryptic and vague, often having a number of different possible interpretations. The example given is, if the bear king is slain in the shadow of morning, the crown will fall from this nation, which could possibly mean the King Boronel of Brayland, since his herald is the bear. And the shadow could either be the morning, the morning land, or could also mean uh on the anver he is killed on the anniversary of the morning. It doesn't necessarily mean that he will die and that the monarchy will fall, just that if he dies under these certain circumstances that are laid out in the prophecy, it will happen. So if he does die either in the morland or on the anniversary of the morning, then we can expect the kingdom of Breland to fall. Uh, so it w- which basically sounds to me, you know, if you say anything vague enough, you can ascribe meaning to it afterwards any way you want. So, I mean, personally, I've never really cared for prophecy, but how do you guys feel about that? Yeah,
2: prophecy, I, I wind it into my campaign sometimes. I'm not I'm not too big on it because it can be difficult to kind of control the outcome of it you know these games are chaotic when you play them over months and months i like the idea but i've found
1: it to be difficult to execute mm-hmm. i think that's the idea with this is like you give it vague enough and you can basically figure out how it works afterwards anyway yeah that's right Cool. Well, james thoughts on that
3: i am 50 50 on prophecies there it's how yeah as you said terry they're kind of hard to accomplish especially in a dnd game And then you need to decide, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy by trying to not fulfill it? Or are you able to change that? Right. And that adds a lot of extreme complexity to the game. And especially we will focus more on one character, especially with a prophecy, because only one person usually cares about the outcome of the prophecy. Everyone else is like, eh, if it happens, it happens. Oh, well. Yeah, that's a good point. It's got to be something that everybody cares
2: about. And then maybe, you know, the whole point is that uh, the prophecy does not come true right maybe
3: we shouldn't be trying to force it but uh yeah
1: but then is it prophecy if it doesn't come true like but is the this?
3: prophecy the them hearing the prophecy and them taking actions to try to stop the prophecy fulfills it so if they heard the prophecy and didn't take any actions when they were supposed to the prophecy wouldn't come true any longer that's my point of saying you need to decide if they're taking actions is what causes the prophecy right or if the prophecy happens no matter what It's one layer of complication before you even give them a prophecy.
1: Yeah, it's hard. There's too many. I think it's almost too many moving parts to use prophecy. In a D&D game, I feel like prophecy, unless it's going to take
3: place in the next two or three sessions, it is not a good long-term goal. So you don't know what players, player players are going to be in your game two years from now when the prophecy is supposed to be fulfilled. Everyone may be new. There may be only one person who really hated the prophecy last. No, that's a good point.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, awesome. Kyle, anything else on that for us? Uh, well, okay, so, I mean, between Forgotten Realms, Eberron, and Dragonlance, which Dragon Gods do you prefer? For me, I don't really care for Dragonlance as a whole. I find it a little too mm, PG and morally black and white for my tastes. Yeah, uh, as, for, for, yeah as for Forgotten Realms, the mo- motivations just don't really make sense to me, right? Like... Bahamut and Tiamat created the first world, then all these other gods are like, oh, sweet digs, mind if we move in? Big war ensues. Oops, we burned the place down and killed your child. And then, you know, Tiamat gets pissed and then Biomute just like kind of just shrugs and moves into their house, you know? I like how Eberron has set dragons like apart from humanity and any sort of humanoids, right? Like they are the other and they are greater than. They operate on a different plane and i think that's how dragons should be. Right. right. Okay. Yes. I I like what
2: you're saying with 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 Eberron. I got no beef with that at all. I think i I am a, I agree with you on the the problems with the dragons within the within the Forgotten Realms, but i think that is still my favorite because i like dragons and humanoids too. I like more intimacy between them. I like them to be close. Uh and i find that the problems that you mentioned i've just tried to address myself, but it is a lot of work to, you know, Bahamut, as you say, is kind of uh, not present. So everything I described today is me trying to change that, but it means a lot of work mm-hmm. on my part. Uh, but what I do like is that they're a lot more involved with the humanoids.
1: Yeah, See, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with them being involved. I just think, like you know, they are entirely alien, right? And there should be some separation. Right. Right. And, yeah. Absolutely.
3: Well, just, I guess just, for that, Kyle, my question is: How do you view the other gods? Do you view them all as humanoid or are they an aspect
1: of their power as well? Uh, that is a good question. I mean, I guess I always the
3: way you're describing it, you view them all as humanoid. So they are all similar to us and the dragons are the only ones who look different. Whereas I view the gods as an aspect of their power and they all look different. Yes, they have a humanoid form, just like the dragons can polymorph into humans.
1: Okay, well, see, see, there's a bunch of different pantheons too, right? Like, there's a goblinoid yeah. pantheon, right? There's Eric Erikocra pantheon. There's like all these other ones to cover each different one. Why is it just humanoids and dragons that are in the same pantheon, right? Like, you don't find a dragon in a goblinoid pantheon. I well, because goblins suck. So why would you want to be in one? But... Yeah, I know. It's just a it's just a yeah, first yeah, yeah, yeah. example that came to my mind, right? But there's know, all these other like... different
3: it's not i think humans have appropriated the gods themselves as we do so our mistra god of magic is everyone else's god of magic they they have different aspects as the dragons have different aspects it's just what we've conjured for them is the way i see it personally because yeah. we seal gods and change religions all the time as normal humans don't you yeah. think humans that have real gods in their world would be like, "Oh, that god of magic is more powerful than the one we were worshiping. That one's ours now. That that's our god of magic. Shut up, guys. That's ours. Hmm. We're humans. Is what we do. Okay. Yeah,
1: but we- I mean, I also it's just like the the switching of the pantheons kind of bugs me, right? Like they, they go, go from
3: legends told by mortals of inner or mortal affairs. Yeah. So we're only hearing one aspect of a story and you're the DM, you're the real God of the world. So yeah, as Terry was saying, you got to put a bit of work in to uh, mm. knock out the kinks you see or hide it behind lore. Just that we don't have an answer. So. Shh. Don't ask questions. Shit the fuck up. Basically. Yeah. So that's all for this discussion on Dragon Gods. Make sure you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspiration and insight we'll have for you in the future.
2: Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can be also found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thank you again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get.
4: This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations.
1: No, we're not gonna catch up first? No we can do a catch up if you want. Straight to business, I get it, Terry. (laughs)
3: you were the late one kyle i I
2: was saying to i said i said
1: adam before i was
2: like every time i see you guys there's something we have to go to like we're playing a game or doing a podcast or something no there's no small talk (laughs) because if (laughs) we wait half an hour doing that everybody's late for stuff and i get it
1: kyle i hope you're okay is everything okay yeah i actually i'm in a great mood you know i just got back from vacation and i'm about to go on vacation again so yeah feeling good well that sounds great two vacations in a row james do you get two vacations in a row no, I don't. I'm not oh,
3: like no. someone. Oh,
1: it was Canada Day long weekend. You didn't get a long weekend, like oh, no, you get a long weekend, slaving away at the vacation, mines. No.
3: Oh, okay, well, long weekend—that's yeah. different. The,
1: yeah. Okay. Fine. I didn't go away on vacation then, but I went up to Peachland for the long weekend, which was that's really good. nice.
2: Canada Day outside of Thanksgiving and um, Christmas is probably my favorite one we've got. So.
1: Oh, really? Thanksgiving is like your favorite holiday well um
2: just because of what we do at thanksgiving it's like a family thing and you know people come together mood you know it's not yes again for that reason for that reason like you know it's not everybody coming together too much for canada day you tend to just go and find a celebration somewhere yeah all right okay let's go to it enough of that small talk Cap. um we'll do we'll do it again <laughs> but we're good to see you guys okay Sorry,